Well, hello, Christ Community Online. Tim Spanberg here, the campus pastor at Shawnee. So glad you have tuned in. Um, and hey, this is the first sermon that will ever be preached in the new building. How exciting is that? And it's a perfect text. I'm so excited. This is the first text I will ever preach um, a sermon in here. And uh, so we're so glad you tuned in. And before we jump in, uh, two announcements that are, that are imp- important. Um, first is how we're going to worship together in the coming weeks. Uh, Sunday, July 12th, we will do one last outdoor service at the Pavilion, a theater in the park, which will be our last mobile church service ever, God willing, maybe. Uh, but, uh, but Sunday, July 12th at the Pavilion, a theater in the park at 10 a.m. And then July 19th, we will be here in this building with two services at 9 and 1045, socially distanced. Uh, we'll give you the details on how we're going to do that uh, in the coming days. But Sunday, July 19th, we'll open this building up for 9 and 10.45 service. I can't wait. So that's, that's the first announcement. Uh, the second announcement is if, if you've been worshiping um, online and you're not yet ready to return to in-person worship, that's okay. And you might be wondering, hey man, like the, the online services have just been sermons. Like Tim, we need a little bit more than you. Can we get something real in this service? Like music, you know, someone else other than you. Uh, and that's okay. Uh, um, for the next couple of weeks, for this week and next week, we'll do a pretty simple online service, a little welcome. Uh, a prayer, a sermon, a benediction. And then starting July 19th, once we're in the building, we will go back to something a little bit more robust online. And so if you're, you're waiting for something a little better than just me, it's coming. Okay, so just be, be patient. Um, but today, you've got me. Um, and, but you've, we've got a really good text. Uh, so I'm going to read that text for us. It's Luke chapter 24, verses 12 through 24. I'm going to read that text. I'm going to pray for us. And then I'm going to preach what is a really powerful text. Uh, So hear now the word of the Lord. And Jesus also to the man, or Jesus said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. And when one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But Jesus said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. Another said, I bought, first, I bought five yoke of oxen, I, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. Another said, I married a wife, therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. And the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city, And bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you've commanded has been done. And still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Uh, Father, what a, 
What a story. And so we open, we open this word to hear from Jesus that we would have lives led by the Spirit of God into this world. Lead us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this is a story about hospitality, about cooking a meal and having people over to eat. And that may sound really boring, but it's, it's not. Like, even my kids are super interested in the idea of hospitality. Uh, the pre-pandemic, when we would have people over uh, to our house, our kids would get so excited about it. They could not wait. They would wash out uh, the window and just wait. And if a car drove by, they'd be like, is that them, right? And they, they, would just, they just could not wait. And, and we tried to coach them a little bit, Misty probably more so than me, uh, just in terms of like how to engage people when they come in. Uh, that my boys, when someone comes over to our house, what they want to do is spray them with information. Like they just want, they want to download the last two years of their life in about eight minutes to whoever walks in the door, which is, is awesome, but a bit overwhelming. Um, and so we've tried to, to teach them like, listen, hey, ask questions. How was your day? What do you like to do for fun? Um, do, you, do you have any siblings? Where did you grow up? Like those sorts of, of questions. Um, But inevitably, whenever someone comes over, it always starts with the spray of information, right? Hey, you know, I played this game. I watched this movie. Have you seen this movie? Did you listen to this song? Do you know this song? Like that, that's typically what happens. Um, And yet, like in my kids' response to hospitality, uh, there's something that is, is right on with who we are as human beings. And there's also something that's, that's really broken. And Jesus gets it both both of those things. And so I want to break our discussion of this little story of Jesus into two questions, which is first is what is biblical hospitality and how do we do it? What is it? How do we do it? So first, what, what is uh, this idea of biblical hospitality? What's the good thing of my boy's excitement of people coming over? What is the good thing to that? And, and Jesus, uh, in verses 12 through 14, he really unpacks what was sort of assumed in that, that society in that, that, that day, which was uh, everyone worked by what was called the patronage system. And so when Jesus talks about, listen, when you have a dinner, uh, don't just invite people over who will repay you. Now, the reason he said this is because that's what you did in this day. Um, there, were, there were very few people who had all the power. And what you would do, typically, is you would try to get into relationship with them and in getting into relationships with, with them, it's like, hey, listen, I can do this for you, and can you do this for, for me? And oftentimes that came in the context of these, these meals, these feasts. And, and so that's how the society was built on. Like, listen, if you are in position of power, I will scratch your back, you scratch my back, I'll do this, you do this. And Jesus, what he says is, uh, is no. I don't want you to do that. And let's be honest, that, that's still so much our system today, isn't it? That we see a relationship that could really do something good for us, and it's like, well, we, we want to cultivate that. We want to, we want to, want to have them over. We want to, to let them more into our life. Whereas someone who, who doesn't have anything to offer, it's a little bit harder for us to see a friendship, a relationship developing. And yet Jesus says, listen, my disciples will not run on the patronage system. My disciples will not run on a view of life that looks at other people and says, I will only let that person into my life if I know I'm going to get something out of it. So Jesus says, do the opposite. Invite people into your life, into your home, into your world that cannot offer you anything. 
Now to unpack that, I just I want to define biblical hospitality and, and then unpack it that way. And here I think is the best definition of hospitality that I've heard. It's from an author, uh, one of my former professors, Josh Dipp. And here's how he defines biblical hospitality. It's this. Hospitality is where you create a safe and welcoming place where the stranger can be converted into a friend. Right? Biblical hospitality is where you create a safe and welcoming place where the stranger can be converted into a friend. Now, I can unpack each part of that. The first is to create a safe and welcoming place. Now, often we think of, of hospitality, we think of our home. And a home, ultimately, as Tim Keller says, is to be a place that's a shelter from the storm. It's to be a safe harbor, right? Home is where we can go. and We don't have to worry about, about saying something in just the right way for someone else, of acting in just the right way for someone else. We can just go. We can let our hair down. We can just be ourselves. And biblical hospitality is when we create that environment, that place of, of home and safety, where someone, they can just be themselves. They don't have to jump through hopes. They don't have to, to guess the right answers. They just, we just welcome them in as they are. And here's the thing, we often, I think we think like, okay, my home, my home's got to be this really hospitable place. But, but what makes hospitality beautiful is not, not your furniture, not the size of your living, living room. It's, it's an environment. It's, it's a place of, of, of comfort and welcome of whoever you are. When you're in my home, this is a harbor. This is a shelter from the storm. So biblical hospitality starts in creating a safe and welcoming place that then secondly invites the stranger in. Now this is, a, this is completely countercultural, and I want to pause here for a minute because Jesus, when he begins to, 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 to lay out the categories of who he wants you to invite into your home, it's categories of people who are pushed outside of the mainstream of society, right? So it's the poor, it's the crippled, it's the lame, it's the, the blind. But in other parts of the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is critiqued because he, he eats with tax collectors, with sinners, with prostitutes. And, and people are just like looking at Jesus like, listen, buddy, like, why are you eating with those people? And, and, and Jesus is like, listen, I came for the sick. I came for the sinners, not for the, the healthy. And so he just, a huge part of Jesus' ministry is eating with people that other people didn't think he should eat with. He goes after the stranger. And I think that's really important. Because, I, listen, I fear today hospitality, the way we understand it, in the world, and it's, it's becoming more and more the case in the church, Hospitality is understood as, as, listen, there's only certain people I'm going to let into my life. They have to share my politics. They have to share my view of the world. They have to share my understanding of things. And if they don't answer the questions that I really care about in the way I want them to answer it, then that I won't let them in. And so we exclude the stranger. We, we keep out the people who are, are different. But Jesus makes clear in his life and his teaching in this text the very person that society wants to push to the margins, Christians are to invite in. And so think this out in three categories. Tim Keller uh, gave a really interesting talk on hospitality, and these three categories really resonated with me. So as you think about who is the stranger, think three categories. First is just other Christians. Right? So, and that may seem weird, but think about this. Like when you come to church on Sunday, uh, back you know, 15 years ago before the pandemic, uh, you might sit next to someone you don't know. Did you say hi to them? 
Did you get to know them? Did you ask them questions, right? It could just be Sunday morning. Or think about this, the the deeper you go in with someone, you get in a community group with someone and you find out they have some interesting views on the world. And and you have a choice then, either to like receive them as they are and just love them as they are, or to say, no, that's too much. I'm going to push them. I went in a group that uh, laughs at my jokes, that sees the world the way I do, that roots for the teams that I root for. Like that's the way you could go about community. And yet community, like it requires seeing someone else who might be a stranger and loving them as they are, right? We've all had people in our community group that's like, man, I, they see the world differently. Is that okay? Or, or do you not want to be in community with strangers, people who are different, right? So there's other Christians. And then also, thirdly, I mean, think about it here. In a couple of weeks, we're going to have a service here in this building and new people are going to come in and, and listen, we have a hospitality team for just that purpose. And because of, of COVID-19, we're going to have to be more intentional with how we meet. And so there's lots of opportunity for you to join our hospitality team and to meet people and to be the first person they talk to and to be this welcoming environment, this, this place of hospitality, right? This is our lobby. And we cared so deeply about this space and we were very intentional about this space so people could feel as welcomed as possible. So we just start with the basic, can you welcome other Christians? And let me just say, one of the things that, I'm just going to say this from my heart, one of the things that's the most discouraging to me right now is, is how Christians who have different views oftentimes can't stay in community with one another. And rather than say, gosh, you see the world differently than me, I, I want to talk to me about that. Instead, we withdraw. Oh, you didn't pass my test. You don't have the same views that I think that you should have. Therefore, I can't be in community group with you or I can't be in fellowship with you. And Jesus so explicitly goes after people who have different views of the world. And there's a reason for that, and we'll get to that in a minute. But first, listen, the category of the stranger is just other Christians because there are some strange other Christians, right? I'm one of them. Right, so that, first, other Christians, that's one category. The second category that Tim Keller gives is just your neighbors. The people you live next to, the people that you work with, that those are people you should invite into your home. God has placed you around those people to know them intentionally, to speak to them intentionally, to love them intentionally. And so who in your, your orbit of life might, you be call, might God be calling you to enter into a deeper relationship with? They may feel strange. They may be strangers, but can you welcome them into your, into your life? And thirdly and finally, the third category, which is what's is the hardest text, is needy people. Is that too often we pick our friends or our community based on the reciprocal nature of that relationship. And listen, that's okay, right? This sermon is not a, don't have any friends. Just invite people that you'll never be friends with. That's not what the sermon is. But Jesus is saying is there should be a part of our lives and hospitality that is explicitly geared at people who will not reciprocate, who will not return what what you offer to them, who are needy people, who are materially poor, who may, if you welcome them into your life, you may have to give some of your resources away away to them. People with physical disabilities come with more needs in relationship. People who are pushed to the margins of society often are because they're hard to love. And Jesus says those are the very people who should be in your home. The stranger. 
the person everyone else in society says, gosh, that's too, that's too hard, that's too much. I'm going to push them away. We don't, Christians don't do that. We don't push them away. We welcome them in. I love the way John uh, Newton put this quote, or quoted, or, or he, a quote he, he uh, gave in light of this passage. He writes this. He said, one would almost think that Luke 14, verses 12 through 14, was not part of the Bible. I do not think it's unlawful to entertain our friends. But if these words do not teach us that in some respects our duty is to give preference to the poor, I am at a loss to understand them. There's so many times I've heard someone say, gosh, that person just has too many needs, or that I, I can't be in a relationship with that person, or I need to withdraw, without going to this text and, and asking, is that the person I'm called to show hospitality to? Is that the stranger I am called to love? Biblical hospitality is to create a self and welcoming place where the stranger can be converted into a friend. And that's where I want to end is that piece of being converted into um, a friend. And here's the deal, right? Is, is the most likely way that someone is to become a Christian is if they are loved into the kingdom of God. Uh, Rosario Butterfield, she wrote a book called The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. Uh, she also wrote a really great book on hospitality that I, I'd recommend to you. Um, but in that, the, the story of, of her memoir of how she became a Christian, she was a professor of women's studies at Syracuse University. She was very openly hostile to, to the Christian faith. And, um, and she would say that. And, and so she, she wrote an op-ed article one day. And one of the pieces of hate mail she got was from a local pastor. And she said it was one of the most intriguing pieces of hate mail she ever got. And and, and so she reached out to that pastor, and that pastor reached back to her, and eventually that pastor invited her into, her, into his home. Into his, it showed her hospitality, this person who was a stranger in every sense of the world, and through his kindness and his hospitality and his love and his patience and his willing to entertain someone who viewed the world totally differently than, than he did, he loved her into the kingdom of God, and she became a Christian, converted. Hospitality is, was crucial to the early church's growth because they were willing to befriend and to know and to love the stranger. And I just, does the church have that reputation now? In this tribalized world where if you don't agree with me, I'm angry at you, could the church be the place where if you don't agree with me, well, let's eat together. Come into my home. I'd like to know you. Biblical hospitality is to create a self and welcoming place where a stranger can be converted into a friend. All right, so this good part of hospitality is my boys looking out at the window, just wanting people to come into the home, wanting to share the safe harbor we have at our house with other people, letting them come in and be themselves, be present with us. That's the beautiful part of hospitality. But the dangerous part, right, the, the thing of like, I'm just going to spray my opinions at you, or I'm just going to spray my life at you, what makes biblical hospitality beautiful is not that I'm, I'm going to give you my thoughts, or I'm going to give you my, but I'm going to create an environment for you, right? So that's what biblical hospitality is. So how do we do it? And I want to say three things to that. And the first thing you have to do if you're going to be a person of biblical hospitality is you have to embrace your spiritual poverty. 
It's just going to keep coming up again and again and again in the Gospel of Luke. You have to see that you're poor, that you're needy. And how that works out in uh, the second half of this parable is that right, the, the master invites a number of people to, to come to the feast, and they give him reasons why they can't. And the reasons why they can't uh, come, for the most part, are to do with the fact that they're not poor. They have money. They have possessions they have to manage, right? So, hey, listen, I'm sorry. I bought a field. I need to go out and see it. Please have me excused. Uh, I just bought five oxen. I need to go examine them. Please have me excused. It's their wealth, actually, that keeps them out of the kingdom of God. And listen, this is just statistically true. If you look at Christianity through the history, uh, the most likely people to respond to the gospel are are materially poor people. Because materially rich people have too much going on, too much to to draw our attention away from the kingdom of God, which means uh, embracing your spiritual poverty is more difficult for a wealthy person than it is for a poor person. Because what ultimately happens in this parable is the poor get to go. But there's a condition. And this has always confused me, right? So, so the, rich, the, the wealthier people say, listen, I got too much going on, Jesus. I can't, we can't go to the feast. But then what happens is the master sends out to the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And, and they go out, and there's still room. And then what we read is uh, the master says to the servant, go out to the highways, the hedges, and compel people to come in. Right? Almost sounds like, hey, let's go find people, grab them by the, the collar, and you drag them to the feast. Which is like, what well, is that? Is that, is that how we convert people, right? We open the building, we find, you know, we find someone in a car out on Shiny Mission Parkway, we pull them out of the car, we pull them into church. Is that what Jesus said? That's not what Jesus is saying. Uh, there's a reason, though, why he says compel them to come in. He right, says, so go out to the highways, the hedges, find the poor. Well, who lives in the highways? Who lives in the alleyways? It's the homeless. Now, in this patronage system, if you invited a homeless person to a feast, they would have to tell you no. I can't come. And the reason they would have to tell you no is because they can't reciprocate. They can't give anything back. They have nothing to offer. So they're not, they're, they can't be invited into the feast because to, to go to the feast would mean they're entering into this reciprocal relationship with the master and they have nothing to give. Which is why the master doesn't invite them to the feast. He compels them to the feast. Like They're not invited. They have to come. In other words, they, I don't expect anything from them. There's no reciprocal relationship. You tell them they can come in anyway. It's free. Which means the only way you get to the feast of the kingdom of God is if you see you have nothing to offer God. And there is nothing more against our sensibilities as middle class Americans than to say, I have nothing to offer. I can't earn it. But that's the only way into the kingdom of God. The only way into the kingdom of God is to embrace your spiritual poverty. Have you embraced your spiritual poverty? That's one. And then second, the way we do this uh, is we, the way we, we practice biblical hospitality is then we have to share the hospitality that we have received. And we look out in the world and we just, we look for a neighbor, a coworker, a friend, a stranger, and we want them to come into our home so that we can share with them uh, the hospitality that, that Jesus has given to us. Now, that's, this is important because what you may think I just said then is, hey, listen, what you need to do is you need to get a subscription to Better Homes and Garden. You need to call Martha Stewart. You need to ask her how to host a dinner party. You need to get better hospitality. And that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is you need to go back to state. You need to f- so fully embrace your spiritual poverty. You need to so fully embrace the hospitality of Jesus that hospitality to the stranger becomes your normal way of being. 
Listen, you can't, this isn't a tips and tricks. This isn't a life hack to better hospitality. The only way you will practice the biblical hospitality of Jesus is if you've, you've first let him give it to you. And you've been homeless on the side of the highway and you've heard Jesus say to you, come in to my feast. And so there's two questions I want us all to meditate on as we, as we close our time together. The first is, is one, who do you need to show hospitality to? What neighbor is maybe the neighbor no one talks to? Um, for those of you in school, if you go back to school, who's the student no one talks to? You know, one of the things we've done as a, as a campus um, is uh, just right over this way, across Shawnee Mission Parkway, uh, there's an apartment complex called Prairie Point. It's a, it's a part of our city that most of our city looks with disdain on, and we've tried to, as a church, just develop relationships um, there with some amazing, amazing people. Maybe that's where you're, you're to go next, is to help us to begin not just to, to go over there a few times a week, but actually to embed your life there meaningfully with people. Who do you need to show hospitality to? That's, you need to ask that. Jesus is not just saying, hey, listen, you know, if, you get your, if you get some t- time, you should do this. No, he's saying, listen, when you throw a feast, this is what you're to do. You're to invite people who can give nothing back to you. That needs to be a practice of our Christian life. So who do you need to show hospitality to, one? But second, and this is more important, question one will never make any difference until question two you've embraced, which is this. How have you let Jesus show his hospitality to you? How have you let Jesus show his hospitality to you? Have you, have, you, have you heard his invitation to come in though you are poor, crippled, blind, lame and blind? If you're going to practice biblical hospitality, you need to embrace your spiritual poverty. You need to share the hospitality you've received. But finally, you have to never forget the feast is free for us, but it is not free. That our central practice as a church, the thing we've not been able to do because we've not been in person, is this practice of communion. And what's our feast of communion? It's the broken body of Jesus. It's the shed blood of Jesus, symbolized in the bread and the juice. Where we remember, we eat at the table of God. We are invited to the feast not because of what we have done, but, but, but because of what has been done for us. Our spot at the table is not just God sort of begrudgingly say, okay, you can come. No, the price has been paid. Our seat has been paid for. The reciprocation has happened, but we didn't have anything to do with it. It was done for us. And it's why Jesus, when he instituted this meal in Matthew 26, it's the reason why I love reading Matthew 26 in our communion meal, is, is, or the way we practice communion, is because this is how Jesus ends that section. He tells this to us or to his disciples and to us who practice this meal. I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of this vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. In other words, Jesus says in the institution of communion, until that great feast happens in the kingdom of God, this communion practice is a down payment of the feast to come. It is a reminder of the invitation to the true table we have been given because of what Jesus has done for us. Have you received his hospitality? Have you have seen? There's nothing you can do to embrace or to be embraced by the feast. It's all been done for you. Have you let, have you let someone come to you and compel you into the kingdom of God? Listen, you can't, you can't reciprocate. God's not asking of you of that. Just come into the feast. Have you, have you responded to his hospitality? Let's pray.
Father, what an amazing invitation you've given us. That we can feast with you, the creator of the universe, who so loved us, you gave your only son to bring us in to your feast, to your kingdom. So God, I pray for every person out there who has never responded to that invitation, has never embraced their spiritual poverty, that they would call on you in faith, become a Christian, and join the party. And those of us who are Christians, God, would you, would you give us a deeper experience of the grace of God so that we could give the grace of God to the world around us, not just in word, but in deed, by opening our homes up, by opening our tables up, by creating a safe and welcoming environment where the stranger can be converted into friend. Do that in us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you have any questions, if you want to talk further, don't hesitate to reach out to me. My email is tims at christcommunitykc.org. I'd love to hear from you. But I'd love to end us our time um, like this, with uh, this benediction from number six. If you're comfortable, raise your hand to receive this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you peace. Amen.